Hey there, it's Jordan Sheridan with Status Quo. Hope everybody's having an okay day, staying safe in these tough times. Obviously, COVID is still surging all over the country. Uh, hospitalizations have increased throughout the country. Uh, deaths, unfortunately, are starting to go up throughout the country. Uh, we had the major uh, breaking news today uh, that the Supreme Court uh, has blocked uh, the pre President Biden's virus mandate for large employers. Uh, this is from the New York Times. The Supreme Court on Thursday blocked the Biden administration from enforcing a vaccine or testing mandate for large employers, dealing a blow to a key element of the White House's plan to address the pandemic as cases resulting from the Omicron variant are on the rise. But the court allowed a more modest mandate requiring healthcare workers at facilities receiving federal money to be vaccinated. The vote in the employer mandate case was six to three with liberal justices in dissent. The vote in the health care case was five to four with just Chief Justice John Roberts and Justice Brett Kavanaugh joining the liberal justices to form a majority. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is a, a major, 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 major decision by the Supreme Court. I'm not shocked at all. Uh, frankly, putting aside the legality, legality of it, businesses wanted the vaccine mandate. Let's not pretend they didn't. Uh, they were happy that Biden and the federal administration was mandating it. So they didn't uh, have to mandate it and they didn't have to become the boogeyman and draw the ire of people against vaccines, people who don't want to take the vaccines, this and that. So uh, the fact that, you know, Biden had stepped in to put in a vaccine mandate for private employers of over 100 uh, over 100 workers, I believe it was. Uh, that was something business wanted. Uh, it was kind of a wink-wink deal, like you be the bad guy, the Biden administration. So the Supreme Court knocking it down. Uh, in this case, uh, I don't know how in love business will be with that. Uh, as far as whether how this will affect uh, COVID, listen, I'm not interested. I've kind of given up on debating uh, anti-vaxxers, this and that. You know, the data is pretty abundantly clear. And I, I think you could be anti-big pharma, anti-establishment, but also like look at data and science. So for those that don't want to get vaccinated, you know, that's that's your choice. But with that said, I think it's the wrong choice, by the way, based on the data, but it's your choice. But I shall say uh, with the vaccine mandate being knocked down, uh, it remains to be seen, you know, how does this affect all of the healthcare uh, nurses that quit uh, because they didn't want to get vaccinated or other workers uh, that quit in other industries because they didn't want to get uh, vaccinated or workers that were fired because uh, there was a lot of workers in places like New York and elsewhere uh, that were fired because they didn't want to get vaccinated. Does this mean they're going to get their jobs back, uh, back pay? So there's a lot of details that really, really matter as far as how will this play out. Um, the bottom line is, if you talk to medical experts, epidemiologists, the more people that are vaccinated, uh, the less, you know, it's not that the coronavirus won't have mutations, but the more people that are vaccinated, uh, the less receptors for uh, those mutations. Uh, so, but let's not forget the big piece here, vaccine mandate or not, President Biden's administration will not force Moderna or Pfizer to share their formula for the vaccines with the third world. So we can vaccinate 80 85% of America, but as you're seeing with the current Omicron variant, there's new variants forming that break through vaccinations. The vaccinations by and large are protecting people from hospitalization or death, those that are vaccinated, but it doesn't mean you can't get it. So even with the vaccine mandate being knocked down, the true thing is 
there's going to be more and more mutations if we don't bulk vaccinate the rest of the world, particularly the third world. And that is one of the biggest sins, in my opinion, of the Biden administration. And there's a whole lot of them. The fact that he's not doing anything to force these companies who, by the way, benefited from government research and government funding of their vaccine studies and trials. They didn't just uh, manufacture these vaccines and find the formula on their own. The government funded huge chunks of Moderna and Pfizer's um, vaccine studies and ultimately them finding a formula. So the fact that we're not vaccinating the rest of the world, I don't, you know, in my view, the more people vaccinated in America, the better. But we're seeing with Omicron, we could keep vaccinating people. It doesn't mean people aren't going to contract it spread it. So it's twofold. On one end, there's obviously, uh, you know, uh, there will be ripple effects with the vaccine mandate being uh, stripped down. But there will also, until we uh, do something to start bulk vaccinating the rest of the world, don't just think this is the last mutation. This one is more mild to the individual. It's not so much more mild to the hospital system that all over the country right now, hospitals are seeing massive spikes I've talked to nurses and hospital workers that are telling me it's very similar to how it was at, at the worst p- periods in 2020 and 2021. So major decision by the Supreme Court, not shocked at all. We got a right wing sup- Supreme Court uh, and we'll continue covering uh, the ripple effect because it will make a difference as far as do workers who were fired uh, for not getting vaccinated get their jobs back? Uh, do uh, workers that quit? have have a reason have a ability to get their jobs back uh and you know how will it play out so we'll stay on that uh please before we move on smash that like button it's a thumbs up button right under the video the more people that press the like button the more people that will see this stream uh youtube's algorithm the more people that like the more people that comment comment in the chat uh the more people who leave super chats it all really really helps us so please please uh boost us by pressing the like button sharing the stream uh, commenting in the chat, and we really appreciate your super chats too. Uh, I kind of wanted to turn uh, to Marianne Williamson, who uh, obviously uh, was, I think, Oprah's spiritual advisor. That's how she kind of uh, came onto the national scene. But she ran for president in 2020. Uh, the media, of course, mocked her. They kind of made her into a caricature. They didn't take her seriously. Uh, they honestly dismissed her progressive political proposals because she wasn't just like running as a spiritual author. She had legitimate policy proposals. Uh, and I thought she was impressive in debates. Uh, by the way, I was just on her podcast last week. So I believe uh, me on her podcast as a guest uh, will be out soon on her YouTube channel and wherever you could find the Marianne Williamson podcast. But I wanted to uh, play a clip. She did an interview with Breaking Points that was released today with Crystal Ball and uh, Sagar and Jadi. Um, And they asked her because there was a political piece uh, that was kind of hinting that there's going to be a progressive challenger that primaries Biden in 2024. So they interviewed her uh, and they, uh, in addition to other things, asked her about it. You know, I don't want to oversell it. She didn't hint that she's running or anything like that, but she also didn't knock it down. Uh, Let's play a clip uh, when she was asked about whether she would consider running against Biden in 2024. Um, Obviously, there's a big Politico piece that floated you or Nina Turner as a potential primary opponent of Joe Biden. I know you're not going to like, you know, haven't made decisions and not going to divulge anything here. But I did want to ask you about what you think of that direction 
whether you think, you know, what a goal of such a primary effort should be and what you think is realistically possible there. Well, I'm not enrolled in the idea that we should just assume that Biden will be running again. Mm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, and nobody. Yeah. And you know what? People in this town are not. Exactly. His own campaign exactly. manager. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And this yeah. is one of those other disconnects. Yes. They say in public, are you going to primary in private? They're like, well, obviously you're not running. Yet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I think that there will be many, many voices. To me, the issue is not the who, but the what. Mm. And the what is someone who is standing within the electoral space for the kind of agenda that will really create the course correction, the terrible imbalance, social and economic imbalance of opportunity in this country between a very, very few people versus the vast majority of people. And what a danger that is, not only to individual lives, but to the state of our democracy and our future. Ah, interesting. Well, to be clear, I think she made important points. Number one, who knows if Biden's even running? I think that's kind of the, you know, the untold secret in Washington. People don't really think he's going to run. I don't want to get into his health, but clearly there it's very clear at times he does not look uh, ready for prime time anymore. I said it throughout the campaign. He was uh, forgetting Obama's name. Uh, he called himself an Obiden Obama Democrat. Uh, he clearly, clearly uh, was not so strong, uh, particularly as the day went on later. Uh, people have their reasons for this. I'm not a medical doctor, but the guy is, I think he's 78 or 79 at this point. So it, by 2024, he'd be in his early 80s if he ran again. So I think Marianne Williamson is making the point, you know, it's kind of hard in 2022 to give you a real answer if I or another progressive would run as a primary challenger to him because it could be, an open pro well it could be yeah it technically i don't know if it would be against him i don't know if it would be against vice president kamala harris um i don't know if they would throw harris overboard and uh it, i mean it really is up in the air and a lot of it in my view depends on how badly our democrats going to be wiped out in uh november uh, a little later on in the show i interviewed dave dayan uh and the executive editor with the american prospect and we talked about how the democrats and biden shockingly are moving further and further to austerity politics as biden's poll numbers sink down so i think a lot of this has to do with how badly the democrats get wiped out in november which to me is all but certain at this point a republican wipeout which is not a great thing uh democrat i mean I'm not for either at this point, but let's not pretend Republicans taking over is just wonderful. Uh, but she didn't shoot it down either. Uh, when she says it's not really the who, it's the what. Yeah, I mean, true, but it's also the who. Uh, and I think Marianne Williamson, I don't want to oversell it if she, let's say, were to run as a primary challenger to President Biden. I mean, it would be very difficult for her to win. You know, obviously, Ted Kennedy uh, unsuccessfully challenged Jimmy Carter in 1980. There's been other uh, unsuccessful primary challenges. She would be a pariah like we've never seen. Uh, the corporate media crucifying her, the whole Democratic Party apparatus uh, crucifying her if she dared to run. But I think her actual message, I think her actual message, while in some ways has has similarities to Bernie, is a little bit different than Bernie's. And I think if she ran, whether she would win or not, that's a whole nother story. But if she ran, uh, 
I think her message would be popular uh, in a Democratic primary. I think it would be popular nationally. But I think particularly in a Democratic Party, because I think there's a lot of Democrats that are growing more and more dischanted, even the neoliberal Democrats who voted for Hillary, who voted for Obama, who voted for John Kerry, who voted for Biden, and who have subscribed to this whole, um, you know, well, you know, it's better than the Republicans, and who subscribe to that lesser of two evil mentality. I think even a considerable portion of those people are fed up. You know, they did what they had to do to get rid of Trump. Biden wasn't their first choice, but they get, they came through for him, particularly black voters, because Biden saw an increase in black voters in uh, Atlanta. That's why he won Georgia. He saw an increase in black voters in Detroit. That was one of the major reasons he won Michigan. Saw an increase in black voters in Milwaukee. That's a major reason he won Wisconsin. Key states that he had to win, particularly Wisconsin and Michigan, which Trump won in 2016. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of those voters are seeing, I mean, what are we getting here? A $1,400 check? Chaos throughout a pandemic where Biden is administration with a full year on the job. We don't have testing. We don't have uh, uh, free mass, free testing, available tests, just this chaotic situation. Uh, we don't have a $15 minimum wage. He preemptively surrendered on that. He preemptively surrendered on the only real policy he ran on within the first five minutes of his presidency. You never hear about the public option, which he ran on and said, no, no, that's better than Medicare for all, Bernie. Uh, you know, police reform, gone. Uh, even even canceling $10,000 in student loan debt, which is a joke in itself. It needs to be a lot more than that. That's not happening. And he has refused to do anything to go on actual offense, like let's say a Lyndon B. Johnson would have back in the day, against Manchin and cinema, because he doesn't actually passionately believe in any of these things. So to me, listen, would it be a tough thing for Williamson, Marianne Williamson, Nina Turner, or anybody as a primary challenge to defeat um, to defeat Biden? Yeah, it would be a tough thing. I don't want to oversell it. But her message, I think she could potentially compete, at least compete, and rally uh, a, a wide net, a wide coalition in the Democratic Party that's just sick of the same old sicko, that's sick of the status quo. I want to play another clip from this. And remember, folks, please press that like button. Share this stream. The more people that press the like button, the more people that share this stream, the more people that will end up seeing uh, the super uh, the the stream. Uh, we really appreciate super chats. We could really use some help right now, as you see with YouTube. It's kind of tough sledding these days. So anything you do for us in the super chat, we'd really appreciate it. Uh, also, uh, we I want to tell you we have a story coming out on Monday. A big story coming out on Monday. Uh, it's in a bigger outlet than status quo. It's on Flint. So please, please, if you can support our investigative journalism, our on the ground reporting, even though at the moment, you know, I'm not traveling because of the COVID surge. It's not like we're, we've given up on investigative reporting and we will be back on the ground uh, as soon as it's safe enough to go on the ground. Uh, so please, please, if you can status slash join become a member for as low as $5 a month. Uh, we're also going to have our monthly members only call uh, in the next week or two. So that should be fun uh, with our members. But I wanted to play this other clip uh, because this is kind of the message I'm talking about uh, that Marianne Williamson is pushing that will she win a primary? I don't want to oversell it. That would be a very difficult thing to happen, but she could. 
she could turn some she could turn a lot of people and actually be competitive uh i think this is a, a really really strong message let's take a listen you know, I, th I found it really interesting when you went on Jesse Waters' show, Marianne, and you said that the real political divide, as Crystal said, is not left and right, and that's a cartoonish version of our political reality, and we're talking about powerful and powerlessness. Why is it that this, this statement does not seem to emanate whatsoever from the Biden administration? I mean, I think it's so central as to why he is so unpopular with the American public right now. Because, unfortunately, more than we even feared. Mm -hmm. um, the Democratic Party, at least the corporatist establishment, elite elements of it, seem to be as held hostage by corporate donors, whether it has to do with big insurance companies, big pharmaceutical companies, big agricultural companies, big chemical companies, big oil companies and defense contractors as the Republicans. I mean, we can argue, you know, well, they're worse. But at this point, the fact that the Republicans are worse um, isn't enough because that fact, the fact that this corporate aristocracy basically holds Washington hostage, means the way that is that has become the core value of the Republican Party, which represents a nosedive for our democracy. But the way the Democrats try to have it both ways represents a managed decline of our mm -hmm. democracy. Yeah. Either way, it is the opposite of a once again, a government of the people, by the people, for the people. Mm. Government of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. Managed decline. Managed decline. It's a good message. It's a good message. Uh, one might say, well, Jordan, she's going to run in the Democratic primary uh, like Bernie, basically calling out the Democratic Party. Yeah, it, 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 it's a fine line because you're going to have your neoliberal establishment uh, voters that like the Democratic Party and, oh, she's not a real Democrat, this and that. But again, I really think things are shifting a lot, even from uh, 2016 and 2020. Remember, people weren't Democratic Party voters were not necessarily voting for Joe Biden because they liked Joe Biden. They were captivated by Joe Biden. They thought his policies were wonderful. He didn't have any policies. They wanted to get rid of Trump. Well, Trump's gone. Trump's gone. You know. We can't say we can't say the future. We don't know if he's going to run in 2024. If all things are equal, if he's healthy enough, I think he will. But for a Democratic Party primary, for a Democratic Party primary, okay, uh, you know, it Democrats might not feel in two years that Biden is their strongest chance to defeat if it is Trump or let's say a Ron DeSantis or a Trump mini me in the Republican Party. They might not feel President Biden is the top the safest choice to beat Trump. They might not feel if Biden doesn't run again and it's Kamala Harris, the vice president, who is about as popular as, you know, I don't know what's unpopular, uh, is about as popular as homework right now. Um, they might not feel she has a chance against Trump. So there might be somebody like a Marianne Williamson who even in Democratic Party, uh, neoliberal voters who her 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 cord, the cord she's striking, uh, you know, managed decline, these kind of things actually strikes a cord uh, with them. They're actually willing to take a shot uh, against Trump because, frankly, look at Biden's poll numbers. If they're at 33 percent now approval, 33 percent approval, what do you think they're going to be in a year when the Republicans control the House or the Senate? So I don't think it's out of the question. Again, I don't. I, I'm not going to lie to you that she would 100% have a chance to win because primarying a sitting president is tough if it's not Biden and she would be primarying President Harris. 
which I cringe even saying, um, that's not a slam dunk. But again, I think her message that, you know, it's not really the Democratic Party Republic first Republicans. Uh, it's the power powerful first the powerless, she says. Uh, she takes on the Democratic Party straight up aggressively. She talks about the corporate oligarchy. Similar things that Bernie said, but I think based on what I've seen from Marianne Williamson, she's willing to go a step or two further than Bernie Sanders was. Uh, and frankly, imagine there's so many deflated progressives, so many def deflated progressives these days that want a candidate to go scorched earth against the Democratic Party. I've said on the local level, for example, Nina Turner's race, it isn't uh, always the smartest thing because, for example, Nina Turner was running it for the 11th district of Ohio, which is a very, very vote blue no matter who district, uh, which is a very, very uh, better than Republicans kind of uh, area, uh, a majority black district, and they like the Democratic Party. Uh, so in on a local level, it's not always the smartest thing to go scorched earth against the Democratic Party. On the national level, it's a whole different ballgame. And if you could craft a message that captivates people away from Democrats, Republicans, but it's just we're in a new Gilded Age and it's the oligarchy versus you, that could be a popular message. It could be a popular message. She could compete. Now, let's be clear. If Marianne Williamson decided to actually run a primary challenge against Biden or Harris, what they did to Bernie in 2016 and 2020, take that, probably times it, probably by four or five. She would be America's most wanted uh, in terms of the establishment. <laughs> the Oh, my God. Can you CNN, MSNBC, the New York Times editorial board, the Washington Post? Or, oh, they'd be telling her to drop out before she even announced she was running. They would be, uh, oh, they would be pushing her as a quack, spiritual, you know, uh, you know, hippy dippy commie. They would totally disregard her political positions. Uh, and, you know, it would probably be effective. I'm not going to lie to you. It, it would probably be effective. They would basically say she is Ralph Nader, only sounding a little hipper in terms of screwing the Democratic Party uh, and helping the Republicans take the White House in 2024. That wouldn't be true, of course. In history, actual competitive primaries actually help um, the uh, whoever, if the primary challenger loses, it helps the sitting um, the sitting uh, president uh, in terms of being more competitive, unless you're Jimmy Carter, because he was obviously a terrible candidate. Uh, so it remains to be seen, but I'm interested in what happens. Uh, obviously, if Marianne Williamson were to run a primary challenge, a primary challenge, as long as I'm still breathing, I'd be out there covering it so you guys could see that, just like I did covering Bernie in 2016, Bernie in 2020. So I'm really interested to see, you know, obviously she didn't oversell it. She didn't say she's running. She gave the caveats that we got to see what happens if Biden even runs, but she didn't knock it down either. So that's not a nothing. Uh, she could have knocked it down completely, but she didn't. So uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, remember to press that like button, share this stream, the like button, thumbs up right under the video uh, sharing is caring and we love those super chats coming in, all those good things. Uh, again, before I air my interview with Dave Dayan, he is the executive editor with the American Prospect. I want to remind you, Status Quo is funded by you. Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of outlets asking you uh, to help them out. Cool. We need your help and we need it. 
significantly more because we have a lot bigger overhead because of our on the ground reporting. Uh, we want to get back on the ground uh, as soon as possible. We also have an investigative story uh, that I did with Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Charlie LaDuff. That's coming out as of now next week. Uh, and it's on the Flint water crisis and additional information on the cover up this time following the money. So that's coming out as of now next week in a pretty, pretty big outlet. Uh, I need you, even though I did it for the Guardian. Uh, I just gave it up. It's coming out in the Guardian. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but we need you. We, Even though we're not on the ground, I haven't stopped with the investigative reporting. Uh, we're trying to uh, grow the team. Uh, you know, We have some marketing help in the back end that we have to pay those people. So please, 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 if you can, support us. Statuscoup.com slash join. Statuscoup.com slash join. $5 a month. I wouldn't be bringing it up multiple times if we really didn't need your support. Uh, so thank you. And again, we're going to be doing our members only call. So when you become a member, we have a monthly Zoom call. Uh, we're probably going to do that either next week or the week after. So stay tuned for that. Uh, without further ado, I wanted to play my interview with Dave Dayan. He is the executive editor with The American Prospect. And he wrote a really interesting piece, basically saying that the Democratic Party and Biden are on their way to austerity. I think they're already kind of there, uh, but really, really interesting piece. Here's my conversation with Dave Dayan. Hey, it's Jordan. Delighted to be joined by Dave Dayan, uh, executive editor of the American Prospect, which does uh, great work, on a lot of policy oriented things. Uh, I wanted to uh, have you on because I read a piece you had, which obviously right now the cable news, corporate media is kind of really focused on the filibuster fight, you know, Biden versus McConnell and all that stuff. Not to say the filibuster is not important and uh, the fight to remove it is not important. But uh, you, you wrote a piece that I think is uh, really telling about uh, the Democrats basically shifting already to austerity, uh, which, you know, uh, a lot of people might wonder, uh, have they shifted to austerity or were they already uh, kind of getting there towards the end of last year? Uh, the headline Democratic inaction will lead back to austerity. Uh, it's pretty uh long piece. I encourage people to read it, read it at the American Prospect, but I wanted to read uh, this part in particular. Uh, mm -hmm. Talk without action and not just on voting has been how the Democrats have used the governing trifecta since March's passage of the American Rescue Plan. And it drives not only exhaustion, but bad policy. Despite a promising start that suggested Biden's administration had internalized the lessons of the Obama presidency and the pain of doing too little, there's been a slow motion pivot right back to that state of affairs, which heralds political disaster. Legislative paralysis is mostly to blame for this. There is no majority for the Democratic platform in Congress as long as the majority relies on Joe Manchin. But the bigger problem is that the perspective that better things aren't possible has begun to infect an executive branch with plenty of options to improve the situation. Witness the Biden administration official who responded to CNN's question about whether there should be additional relief measures during the Omicron variant spike by saying, no, there might be something small for restaurants, but the economy is booming. There are millions of open jobs. And we do not believe people should be sitting at home if they are vaccinated and boosted, as most adults are. It took all of one week for the aristocratic sounding response to become inoperative. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer told reporters this week that the White House would be asking for substantial relief funding. So 
I bring that up. Uh, everybody should read it at the American Prospect. Uh, I wanted to ask you because I was struck actually when I read that CNN article where they said the economy's booming. Because I don't know, I've traveled the country. Uh, there's apparently a different idea of booming. One for cable news journalists and you know uh, influencers and like workers. So I wanted to ask you, uh, what have you found from your reporting? Where are they getting that this economy is booming? And also you had mentioned uh, that there are things that Biden can do, but mm -hmm. this this kind of inertia of, well, nothing better, nothing big's possible at this point is setting in. Yeah, I mean, I think there's always this tension between wanting to tout your uh, accomplishments and also, uh, you know, dealing with the realities of the country. Uh, there is no doubt that we have uh, experienced uh, job increases that are the most of any president uh, in the first year, uh, that the unemployment rate is down to 3.9%, uh, and that wages are rising, particularly at the low end of the scale. Uh, but the inflation situation is as such that most, most for, for the, the, the average person, real wages are falling. And that's never fun if you're uh, uh, someone out there and, and realizing that your your paycheck doesn't doesn't go as far as it used to. And uh, it's driving a lot of the issues around uh, Biden's approval rating and, and perceptions of the economy. And so saying that the economy's booming, everybody go back to work, uh, uh, especially, you know, kind of almost ignoring the fact that we have these historic highs in COVID cases, uh, this is causing major shortages around the country for labor. Uh, it's also causing shortages, uh, literally, uh, with store shelves and things like that. Um, and the fact that the the supply chain issues really have not been resolved, there are more ships waiting off the coast of uh, where I'm at here in Los Angeles than ever before. Um, uh, you, you can't you can't just go forward and say that that, you know, well, statistically, if you look at certain aggregates uh, in, in certain constrained circumstances that we're doing just fine and everybody should get out and 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 move forward with this glorious economy, uh, it, it just misses stuff. And um, I, I think that it's almost being put forward as an excuse for the inaction that we're seeing in Congress. And I also kind of want to ask, I mean, obviously you're a reporter, but just from a political perspective, uh, you don't always win re-election if you don't get stuff done. But I would think you have kind of a better chance if you actually <laughs> look like you're trying and look like you're fighting. Right. Uh, I've been I mean, I don't expect anything from Joe, Joe, Joe Biden. In, the record is the record. He basically is a 1990s moderate Republican. Uh, decent on some social stuff, but economically he's right wing in my view. Uh, but if you look at how he ran, uh, he ran on specific things that he pre pr pretty much preemptively surrendered on $15 minimum wage. You don't hear about the public option anymore. Uh, mm -hmm. police reform is not a really a thing anymore. Obviously he's been dealing with a pandemic, but I wanted to ask you, I mean, what they're doing, which is this kind of lying in fetal position, trying to be diplomatic and nice with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema, clearly not working. And there has been there has been there has been examples where if you pressure Manchin, he gets a little hot under the collar. I mean, when when right. when Bernie Sanders wrote an op ed in a West Virginia newspaper, he didn't like that. 
right. Manchin can be pressured. I don't know if it would get his vote, but any inkling into why Biden uh, won't be more aggressive and his administration won't be more aggressive towards Manchin, particularly on Build Back Better? Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Build Back Better situation is pretty toxic right now. I think that Manchin uh, clearly doesn't want to do it and is coming up with any excuse he possibly can to 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 put that forward. Um, I don't know if I don't know exactly how salvageable it is. I mean, there's this theory that oh, he offered just do what he wants and and then we'll we'll uh, we'll get something done. And but what he wants changes from from day to day and week to week. So I I, I don't know if there's there's really a sweet spot there, but in because kind of the entire agenda was put into that build back better basket, it's like they don't have anything else that they <laughs> that, that, that's that's on the agenda. I mean, uh, there's this push right now on voting rights, which it was very clear uh, throughout this entire period that uh, there aren't 60 votes for voting rights, and there aren't 50 votes to get rid of the filibuster. Kirsten Sinema just today went to the floor of the Senate and said, I'm not budging on the filibuster, which is the same thing that she said since January of 2021. So what was the point of this month that you've seemingly wasted now? Uh, it's, it's one thing to sort of uh, get credit for trying. Like you, you're, you, you don't get everything you want, but you're showing your base that this is really important to you and, uh, and, and you're laying out the stakes of who's blocking progress. But usually the people blocking progress aren't in your own party, right? I mean, like it's harder to make that argument when it's Democrats that are the obstacle. And, and clearly cinema and Manchin are the obstacle with respect to, to changing the filibuster and, and, and getting voting rights done. And they're also, you know, at least Manchin, the obstacle on getting the rest of the agenda done. So, so you gotta you gotta figure out something else to do. Now, uh, I, I think that the prime the primacy of the pandemic is 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 something we shouldn't lose sight of. People are pissed off because they have to, you know, navigate this thing again two years in. Uh, what Biden is doing around getting tests finally to people's mailboxes, getting masks. He just made an announcement uh, about getting masks into people's hands. Uh, that's that's great, but they, the, the administration initially said no to both of those things and had to be prodded by public outcry to get to the right place. They could have got to the right place initially because it was very clear that we were going to need more non-pharmaceutical interventions to, to get us through uh, this very transmissible portion of the disease. But I should, and, I should yeah. add, just to clarify, it's not clear to me. I mean, a, a report came out that uh, those tests, if you're insured, you could get reimbursed through insurance right. uh, it, once you go through all the rigmarole of well, that, filling out paperwork. That's so insane. It's not, even, it's not even clear to me that they are free. Well, and, there's two separate things going on, right? So, so yes, there is this thing around insurance, which was their initial plan, which is insane. Like, you're going to save your receipts and go to your health insurance company for a $25 two pack. And you're going to go through all the ha the hassle of, uh, of, of, of what you have to do to actually get your insurance to agree to something over $25. Like no one's going to do that. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like, it's free in name only. The, the separate thing after the outcry is that they're going to mail them to your house. 
And that is, I believe, going to be free. It will not be a, a situation where you have to pay for them at all. So there are two separate things going on there, but they're cleaning up their own mistake, right? I mean, that's what they're doing. Uh, uh, that's why the second thing was announced. And so, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's there, there's this, this seeming uh, inability to react to this fast-moving event uh, mm-hmm. in a way that, that, that would show leadership. Um, we ran a piece today about how Jeff Zients, who's the coronavirus response coordinator, is just not doing his job and, and probably should be fired. And doesn't um, have any medical expertise, by the way. No, he's a he's a he's a corporate guy. He, yeah. He, 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 yeah, he was a CEO of a, a like a big conglomerate. Um, and the only reason he's seen as as competent in government is that he sat around and told contractors to fix healthcare.gov. And he's been living off that for like the last 10 years, even though he has shown no competency in any other respect. Um, so uh, yeah, it, it's there, there's a real problem with, with being, being able to react to events. There's a problem with uh, being able to, to forge an agenda out of, uh, out of the mess that's going on in, in the Senate. And uh and and yet there there's this whole untapped resource of executive action where uh, when it works, it really, really works. So uh, a perfect example is for the last two months, uh, Biden and his team have been really talking very specifically about how concentration in the meat processing market, because there are four companies that control all meat processing, uh, they are selling meat to grocery stores at a very high price and we're seeing higher prices than ever for meat at the grocery store but they're buying meat from ranchers in form of cattle and hogs at very low prices uh and they're they're pocketing the exchange right and so uh the the biden administration has been talking about this and talking about this and talking about this and yesterday we got the inflation numbers and while the inflation numbers were still high meat prices had gone down and yes the bully pulpit actually does matter. I mean, the fact that there was this spotlight on these four companies led these four companies. I mean, you can only assume to say, uh, "Okay, we're we're gonna we're we're gonna back off for a bit. We're not gonna take as many profits uh, out of this crisis as as we have been doing." And uh, the result is lower prices for consumers. So uh, I, I think that there's more of that that can be done and that needs to be done. And let me ask you, because the American Prospect, which, again, people should check you guys out. You do great work. Uh, You wrote out a whole list of executive actions he could take, which put aside whatever. He's a institutional institutionalist and an old timer with the Senate. Okay, well, seems like he's coming around on the filibuster, even though he's not going on aggressive offense against Manchin or Cinema. But can you kind of talk about the executive actions he could take? And why do you think he's not taking it? Because in my view, my very simple view of politics, we live in the United Corporations of America and they're doing what the donors will allow them to do. Because I don't believe the donors in either party want to open the spigot of consistent stimulus, uh, Mm -hmm. pandemic or not, because that sets expectations and that shows, oh, wait, we can afford these things. So can you kind of talk about what are the, the top executive actions that... He could do if he wants. How would they 
improve people's situation? And why do you think he's not? There's a bevy of executive actions. Uh, Biden's taken some, uh, but mostly those are of, the, are of the kind that were either reversing Trump things or doing things that don't actually affect that United Corporations of America kind of side of it. So some of the biggest actions that we've heard about for a while are cancellation of student debt. We have this huge student debt crisis, a lot of, lot of defaults. Uh, they've been paused for two years. No one's had a problem with that. In fact, it's been really good uh, for, for graduates who haven't had that burden of $400 a month on average, uh, but it's supposed to start up again in May. And uh, the, the, the Secretary of Education has the authority to change the terms of those loan contracts, including by canceling them entirely. And uh, this is something that activists have asked for for the last year and a half, and uh, Biden has been resistant to it. Um, another example is action on drug prices. So prescription drug prices, uh, there are ways, those, those patents are granted by the United States of America, right? We say you have exclusive ability to market this particular life-saving drug for 20 years, even though we, the, the people, the taxpayers paid for the research and development to get you to uh, be able to have that drug, uh, uh, you go ahead, uh, private in, uh, drug company, you profit from it for 20 years. Um, we could change the terms of those patents. We, there, there are ways to use uh, what are called march-in rights. If the drug was uh, developed with federal support, you can go in and say, it's not being given on reasonable terms to the consumer, in other words, affordably, and you can take those patents and give them to someone who will sell them affordably. Um, there are options on making, uh, you know, removing descheduling is what they call it, descheduling marijuana from the list of controlled substances so that it is not uh, any longer essentially an illegal drug. And uh, that that would open up not only uh, the ability for people who are, you know, suffering from a very disproportionately black and Latino set of drug crimes, uh, it would also uh, allow the business that has gone up around legalized marijuana in various states uh, to get to use uh, to use federally chartered banks, for example, uh, and to, to allow their businesses to not be done entirely in cash and to to, to you know, to regularize that business so that it's it's not, you know, more attractive to go to the pusher on the street. So uh, those are just a few examples. And uh, I think there are many, many more. Uh, you can go to, uh, we actually have an executive action tracker at our website, uh, prospect.org slash EAT or EAT. Um, there's a host of climate actions, there's a host of financial actions, there's uh, things like starting a public credit registry so we're not reliant on the credit bureaus. Uh, there are a whole host of things and they're all listed there. Mm -hmm. And uh, my last question for this, because your piece talks about austerity, I mean, at the end of the day, if you go back to Obama, you know, experts have said, I believe uh, his stimulus in 2009-10 was insufficient. Mm -hmm. uh, he ran on, you know, parting the seas. He ran very progressive, ended up, you know, providing a Republican health care plan. He got through in 2012, you know, weak candidate, you know, he got some breaks. But Trump, you know, part of why Trump won was because a lot of people uh, 10 percent of Obama voters switched over to Trump. Uh, Hillary Clinton. I mean, there was a depressed uh, turnout among black voters in some of the key areas. So I just see kind of a similar playbook here 
where, yes, it's different. Democrats only have this 50-50 uh, you know, majority, but at the same time, kind of negotiating against themselves on so many things. Mm -hmm. uh, Obama, in Obama's case, chose to be civil with the Republicans, try and negotiate with them. Biden's doing the same thing, only with the Republicans in the Democratic Party. <laughs> uh, Mansion and Cinema. It's not right. all Mansion and Cinema, we should say, because I think there's several others. They're hiding behind them. Hiding yeah. behind them, and mm -hmm. Mansion and Cinema are taking the arrows. But I just want to ask you about the parallels because it seems to me, I mean, hey, I'm no fan of the Democratic Party, but I also, you know, a, a Republican tidal wave is not optimal either. But it seems to me Biden is basically after the original nauseating onslaught of Biden is FDR articles. He is basically it just looks like he's folding the tent uh, and lever yeah. giving away his power to mansion cinema. And when I say going on offense, can you imagine Lyndon B. Johnson? I mean, he was terrible on other things. Vietnam. He would not allow Joe Manchin or Kirsten Cinema to cripple his presidency. Right. It just seems like there is no will well, to aggressively go on offense. I'm talking publicly shaming, tarring and feathering, uh, because I think that's your best bet is to publicly galvanize uh, 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 the working class and Americans against these two senators and see if they'll continue to hold it up. Well, it is kind of amazing that Biden did a speech in Georgia this week on voting rights, and it took all of like, what, 24 hours for <laughs> cinema to go on the floor of the Senate and say nothing of what Joe Biden said moved me at all. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of fear uh, of Joe Biden the way that there might have been of Lyndon Johnson. But here, here's what ama well, for, is amazing. For a reason, because he doesn't actually do anything. To, well, yeah, to yeah I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Absolutely. So uh, but here here is the amazing parallel. So. Uh, the Obama stimulus was, as you said, uh, too inadequate. Uh, by the middle of 2010, uh, if you look at fiscal policies, contribution to economic growth, it turned negative. It started taking away from growth at the end uh, in the second quarter of 2010. So within a year and a half of Obama's presidency. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and we saw the effects of that, a very slow recovery and a wipeout in 2010 at the polls. When Biden got in, he was determined not to do that. And, and, and the Democrats were talking about it actually very directly, almost for the first time, what Obama did was wrong. We, we are going to actually, uh, uh, give the, the economy what it needs uh, at this time of, of economic stress. And so they passed the American Rescue Plan. Well, uh, almost nothing has happened since then, except for the infrastructure bill, which is very long-term. And here we are, there's data that, uh, you know, the same data that we saw in terms of fiscal policy and growth in 2010, uh, it shows now that in the last quarter of 2021, fiscal policy was about even, and by this quarter, one quarter before when Obama's turned negative, it's going to turn negative this quarter. So for all the talk that we we learned the lessons of a too small stimulus uh, uh, and we learned the lessons of, of, of low public investment, which is what Build Back Better was going to be, a sustained public investment, whether through the child tax credit or for assistance for things like child care or elder care or uh, paid family leave, et cetera. Uh, we learned the lessons. We're not going to do that anymore. We're, we're, we're actually going to uh, bolster public investment and we're going to uh, continue to support working families where necessary. Well, 
guess what? <laughs> We're not. <laughs> we, we, we went right back into that, that, that position. And I think legislative paralysis is, is what it mostly has to do with. And yes, you're right to say that Obama was dealing with 60 votes in the Senate, whereas uh, Manchin and Sinema uh, are, are, are on the, the cusp of a 50 vote Democratic Senate. So much harder to get that agenda forward. Uh, however, um, the, the, the numbers are the numbers. And, and, and there was this sort of collective promise that we're not going to make the same mistake again. And we're making the same mistake again. And I'll also point out, I mean, just from a 360 degree level, still don't have a $15 minimum wage. Right. So the federal minimum wage is $7.25. If you got a $15 minimum wage today, it's staggered over five years. Right. <laughs> and frankly, with inflation right now, which is more and more evidence coming out that a huge chunk of that inflation is just good old price gouging, not yeah. passing, not companies passing off uh, increased costs, but just as Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell said yesterday, well, right. they're increasing because they can. So right. you basically have people still making starvation wages with prices going up. That does not bode well uh, politically, I would say, no. for the and, Democratic Party. And, you know, uh, we've heard a lot of talk about how uh, uh, parties need to, to uh, say popular things. There's this whole concept of popularism that, that they need to. Uh, say things that uh, align with with what the voters want, and that's going to get them through. And I really think it's more about deliverism, like that you you have to deliver on these promises, or else you can keep making the promises, but no one's going to believe you. And that's where the Democratic Party really is. And 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 it's a long term process that they've gotten there over you know broken promises for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And so at this point, there's no other option but to deliver and to prove that government can work and that Democrats uh, are on the side of, of working families. And uh, this is what they're sacrificing by a months long protracted debate around Build Back Better that ultimately is seemingly leading to nothing. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Dave Dayen, uh, executive editor with The American Prospect. People could check out uh, Democratic in Action will lead us back to austerity, uh, which is his new piece at the uh, American Prospect. You know, there's a lot of, uh, shall we say, fluff out there these days on the interweb, on YouTube. Uh, I American Prospect is one of the sites I read because uh, you actually could get smarter, which uh, I still care about and you should care about. Uh, thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks a lot, Jordan. Take care. So that was Dave Dayan with the American Prospect. And, you know, frankly, keeping it real, folks, keeping it real, you know, his headline, let me show it one more time, uh, said uh, Democratic inaction will lead us back to austerity. I kind of, uh, you know, uh, I uh, agree with his reporting. Uh, you should definitely read the piece. But the truth is, we're not being led back to austerity. We've, we're it's still in austerity. Tell me when we were out of austerity. What the Democratic Party offered was a $1,400 check. A $1,400 check. Okay? Uh, an extension of the child tax credit that they allowed to expire in a year. Remember all the talk in Hubbabaloo? Oh, uh, we're cutting, we've cut child poverty in half. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of talk. Why the hell do we have such severe child poverty in this country? 
Um, you know, it's just, it's just incredible. Um, no, uh, $2,000 checks a month, which is what Biden promised, what those Georgia, uh, candidates promised, uh, Ossoff and Warnock. Uh, he has totally abandoned a $15 minimum wage, which by the way, you're going to see a lot more homelessness because people cannot afford, uh, the people making $9 an hour, $10 an hour, $11 an hour, frankly, it's even really, really stretching it to even live on $15 an hour in most American cities, definitely urban areas. Uh, so he abandoned the $15 minimum wage, abandoned a public option, which was not enough anyway. Uh, police reform. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Uh, any any uh, uh, removal or canceling of student loan debt, even $10,000. Why? United Corporations of America. He's doing what the donors will allow. Because let's not forget, folks, let's not forget the Democratic Party, while they're trying to get things done, they also are one of the top thoughts in their mind is fundraising. The DCCC, the DNC is fundraising for the midterms, Senate campaigns, House campaigns, uh, governors, etc. Well, who's giving them money? It's not you and I. It's Super PACs, it's corporate CEOs, big pharma, big oil, military industrial complex, big banks. You think they want all these provisions and build back better? <laughs> Seriously, you think the very people that the Democratic Party is trying to fundraise from right now so that they could Pete and keep the House, keep the Senate, you think they actually uh, want these things? No, they're lobbying against these things. You're talking hundreds of millions of dollars have been lobbied collectively across industry against Build Back Better, which, by the way, Build Back Better at $3.5 frankly, was the compromise position. $3.5 was the compromise position. That wasn't enough. The $500 or $600 billion to go towards climate change, that's not enough. Experts say you need trillions of dollars to stave off the worst effects of the climate catastrophe. So- it's just unbelievable. It's truly unbelievable. And yeah, the Democrats will get what they deserve. Uh, the Democrats will get what they reserve and deserve in November. And frankly, I'm not completely blaming elected progressives, but elected progressives helped this happen by giving up their leverage. You know, you had those six squad members that voted no against the infrastructure deal. Uh, they held firm, but Pramila Jayapal, Ro Khanna, other members of the progressive caucus in Congress where, you know, it's like 100 members. Some of them are actually progressive, uh, but they gave away the store. They said, yeah, we'll vote for the infrastructure deal because we trust Biden to deliver Mansion and Cinema's votes on Build Back Better. Well, yeah, trust Biden, who has been in fetal position for most of the year. Uh, in the face of President Manchin and uh, pres uh, co-president Cinema, who has refused to go on offense. And you want to know what the truth is? He won't go on offense. He doesn't want to because he's not truly passionate about any of these provisions. All Biden cares about, make a deal. If that deal is just a grand a grand coupon for the, for the American people uh, to Denny's, hey, we struck a deal. So that's where we're at. I want to thank you guys for watching. Uh, thank you, guys. Thanks, Dave Dayan, for coming on. Please, please, uh, a, a quick reminder. 
you know, right now we're not on the ground, obviously, with Omicron and COVID surging. I, I'm not really in love with trying to get COVID twice. So I've limited my travel during this surge. We want to get back on the ground uh, once it's a little safer. We need to grow. We need to grow. As you see, uh, it's been tough on YouTube. Uh, YouTube has been really uh, throttling us. Our content's not really getting out there as much. Uh, so we need to grow so we could fund the on-the-ground reporting. So please consider signing up as a Status Coup member. StatusCoup.com slash join. StatusCoup.com slash join. You could become a member for as low as $5 a month. Uh, that's StatusCoup.com slash join. You'll get access to our month um, our monthly members call, which uh, we'll probably be doing in the next week or two. That's through Zoom. It's myself, our, our members. Uh, it's always a lot of fun access to behind the scenes video content, access to our members only discord. So there's a lot of great perks as a member. And most importantly, you fund actual on the ground reporting, investigative reporting. I actually have a, a new piece coming out on Monday. Uh, I won't say where, but in a fairly big outlet uh, on the Flint water crisis and cover up. So stay tuned for that. That's coming out next week. I've been working on that for a few months. Uh, so please, please, all of this costs a lot of money. Statuscoup.com slash join. $5 a month. I would really appreciate uh, you guys uh, chipping in so we could support this reporting. Uh, thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.